Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1134. Let's talk about you, the ID10T community, events at ID10T.com to get your thing on the corkboard. Uh, like Chelsea, uh, who writes about the award-winning music documentary, Bleeding Audio, which has several in-person screenings coming up. Uh, the film follows the career of the art punk band The Matches and digs deeper into how the music industry has impacted artists in the digital era. It's an uplifting story about kind, hardworking artists. It's full of rock stars you would recognize, like Mark Hoppus, Nick Hexum, and Cassidy Pope. Screenings include September 11th, uh, which is Saturday, uh, at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood, uh, September 24th in Joshua Tree, October 13th at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis. Uh, don't miss the exciting return to cinemas. To learn more about these screenings and get tickets, go to bleeding-audio.com. Uh, fantastic uh, events at ID10T.com for anyone else who wants to get their thing on the corkboard. This episode is Angela Kang. Um, Angela is the showrunner for The Walking Dead, and she's just the best. Um, so, so cool. And she's been a writer on the show since the beginning and is now uh, uh, guiding us into our final extended season of The Walking Dead all these years later. Wow. Um, Walking Dead is currently on Sundays at... 9 p.m. 8 central on AMC, followed by all new live episodes of Talking Dead. It's so good to be back in the studio. And Angela's just the best. Just so cool and brilliant and wonderful and is, is always is such a great guest on our show because she, she'll give you just enough information, but not too much information. But it's enough where you feel like, okay, I did get a piece of information there, but nothing was spoiled. Uh, and so it's just been such a pleasure to get to know Angela all these years and an honor to uh, work uh, as the cousin show uh, to The Walking Dead. So this is a really great chat just about creativity 
and um, generating ideas and content and finding your voice and and you know writing what you love and 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 all this stuff. So it's a really wonderfully creative episode and and such. An, there's so many enjoyable takeaways uh, for me as I'm doing a lot of writing at the moment because uh, I'm I can't I can't go out and perform. So I've been doing a lot of writing. So this is very helpful for me. Uh, I'm sure you will find it helpful for you too. Uh, and uh, here is the ID10T podcast number 1134 with Angela Kang. Oh, P.S. Light spoiler warning. Um, I don't think we spoil any majorly significant plot points of The Walking Dead, but honestly, I can't remember. (laughs) And I know we do talk about this extended final season of The Walking Dead, and it's airing now and, and goes into the end of 2022. So you know what? Just to be safe... If you're not caught up on uh, The Walking Dead and you want to wait, you don't want to have anything potentially spoiled, just go ahead and hit pause uh, and then catch up and then come back and listen. So I uh, just wanted to give a friendly spoiler warning for potential spoilers. So there you go. Uh, now let's roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. How's it going? Are are you're fully in the swing now? It's yeah, July, and you're like in it, in it. We're in it, in it. We're like we're shooting right now. They're they're actually on set shooting right now. Um, so it's we're oh my god, we're like we're a third of the way through shooting the season and then writing is just cranking along. So we've, we've got to write 24 scripts this year, which just goes crazy. So we're just, we're like, um, we are almost at the halfway point of writing, which doesn't feel like enough at this stage. And then we're, uh, we're working on cuts and I was looking at some VFX today. Like it's just, it's all in the middle of everything right now, but it's all good. You know, it's like, it's, I'm, I'm happy to be working. And I think everybody on the show is just like, it, this has been such a weird, hard, uh, our time of the pandemic. So I think everybody's just like, at least we get to like make the show that we love and we're doing the thing and, but it's hard, you know, it's weird. It's like everybody's walking around with their um, masks and it's hot as hell and buggy. And so everybody's being a trooper. It's all good. Are you shooting? How's the shooting process working? Are you shooting at all this year or are you shooting some this year and then some next year for next fall? We're the shooting is all continuous but we started shooting in January of this year and to finish out the season, we'll be shooting into like early spring or late winter of next year, like I get March ish. So it'll be over 12 months to kind of finish out the shoot for the year, which is nuts. That's unbelievable. (laughs) I'm selfishly trying to calculate in my brain if, because Literally since Talking Dead has been on, which was season two of Walking Dead, 
Greg Nicotero has said to me, hey, man, you got to, you know, come on, I'll, I'll make you a zombie. <laughs> make up once. And it was it was an experience. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, they did an amazing job, but it was just like it, you know, it's like it takes about an hour and a half. And yeah, you know, about a half hour to get it all off. But then in my head, I would go, OK, I'm going to do that and then go to Georgia where it's like 100 degrees, but a muggy 110 degrees. <laughs> And so I never really like, I always would kind of go, yeah, no, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And now yeah. like, if I'm ever going to do this, it has to happen. And if it's <laughs> or because I feel like I'll regret it if I don't, I feel like, yeah. why didn't I just go do it once? Come on. I know. I think I'm in the same boat. Like he's been like, come on, you can make, make you up and be a zombie. And I'm like, yeah, sure. But it's just, it's a time commitment. I think everybody who, does the zombie stuff on our show like there you know it I mean it's a whole deal and but you get to be a walking work of art you know like this is a real art that um that Greg and his team are are doing and so it's super cool I just I never really had the time to sit and do it but I'm realizing like well I guess like if I'm gonna do it this is probably a good year to do it like it's you know to, to be a zombie one time on the the mothership show um, I am tweaked out by the um, contact lenses, but during all of the COVID protocols, we haven't even been really doing those. Like we're just digitally doing the um, the weird gray zombie eyes now. Oh, that's an option. Oh my God. Yeah. Know, yeah. Contact <laughs> lenses, like you can't see anything. They're basically just translucent. So you can see oh, yeah. shadows. And I, I have so much respect for the the zombie actors on the show oh, yeah yeah they're amazing yeah because it's it's like it's basically just like uh putting all these things on and around your body to uh and then having to still can be convincingly act around all of these things uh it is so much harder than it looks i think when everyone kind of so does their zombie walk it's this <laughs> like 1940s like you know, movie monster walk. Like, <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it is. It's hard. It, yeah, it's really hard because, you know, what's um, interesting is like, I think that um, what actors struggle with, like if there's a character that dies on the show, you, it's like the tendency is to almost overact as a zombie. And it's like, as a zombie, you just have to sort of like be dead to the world. Just all you're going for is food. And so, um, and then it's like you put the emotion, it's like the characters that are putting the emotion on the zombie, but the zombie itself is just like, rah, I want to eat your brains. And that's actually really, really hard to do. Like people struggle with it. They go like, wait, but I, but what is my, what's my objective and what's my feeling? It's like, it's none of that. You just want to eat the thing in front of you. And that's actually incredibly hard to do well. What? about it you're just doing it like that's you're just doing it you're just doing it you're going after what you want so faces <laughs> uh, just uh fresh blood brains <laughs> organs yeah. whatever it is you know a lot of like it's I, I always refer to it as sort of like the clown gag with like the handkerchief but it's the, yeah right just coming you know, out coming out and coming out so coming out and then like doing doing it. <laughs> um I, I i'm so curious to ask you because i was i, I I was reading about, you know, uh, you know, where you went to college and what you studied and how you broke into and and Walking Dead. First of all, you worked on Terriers, which I loved. Terriers, that oh, show thanks. <laughs> was so good. 
And I remember talking to an FX executive about it years ago and saying like, I loved Terriers, what happened? And they were like, we, you know, they're, they just said, we just didn't, I don't think we marketed it the way that it did, like yeah. marketing with the dog on the, yeah. on the poster, it didn't really tell you what the show was, but it was yeah. a great show. Oh, thanks. I, I mean, that show was, it was, it was such a cool show. There's so much that I learned from that show and like the writing staff and like my bosses, they're just, you know, they're all like, they're so good. You know what I mean? Like everybody was so good. And, um, but it, I came onto that staff and, um, I had just come right off of another job that had just kind of been, it never went onto the air. Like it was a super fun show to work on. I'm still friends with a lot of these people to this day. Like they all work in big genre shows and everything like that, but never went to air. I went right onto Terriers. Like I ended that job and came on like the next like Monday or something like that. And the room had been going for like a little bit with a few people. Um, and it's like from day one that I was there, it's like, yeah, so, you know, we're trying to come up with a new title. Um, so we're, we're trying to come up with a new title and then at a certain point it was like, um, yeah, it turns out FX, like they really, they've decided that they, they embrace the title and they want to like go with the title. They have an idea for how to market it, but then it's like the marketing, like it, everybody thought the show was a show about like dog, dog like, or, you know, or maybe like, um, illegal gambling on dogs. I, I heard all kinds of things of what people thought that the show was. And I was like, oh man, like it's such a good show, but I still hear from people who there's like this kind of Venn diagram where there's some walking dead fans who also like passionately love terriers. And I'm like, you, you get me. Like, I, I love working on that show. It was super cool. And, um, I'm glad there's fans to this day. Um, Donald Lowe, by the way, like he, um, who started Terriers, he's just, he wrote this book with Danny Trejo, which is like burning up the, um, the book lists right now, which is pretty cool. Well, I don't it's know anything about it. Stuff. Huh? I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Like it's, it's a, um, Danny Trejo wrote like a book about his life, um, the actor and, um, you know, those, those two are really tight. And I think Donald like wrote it with him or something. And, um, I don't know why I'm like <laughs> promoting somebody else's book. I just thought that that was super cool. Like this is, because you know I, I, mean? I remember when Terriers was, I've been doing the podcast so long that Terriers was on when I was first started doing the podcast and I had Donal on the podcast because my hope was that being on the podcast would somehow save the, sh I mean, I don't know what I thought. I just thought, Oh, if I can just help create awareness around it, cause it's such a good show. Um, but I think those shows are really interesting. And I was having a similar conversation with someone about, about independent film because, you know, he says, Oh yeah, I have a friend who's in all these independent movies and they're really cool, but like not a lot of people see them. But now this one actor is like gone on to do bigger movies. And I go, yeah, because you do these really cool, you know, if you just have do cool projects that you really like, even if that's not the thing, you'll see that all of those people, because it's cool, will go on to do other things. And it's like, oh, yeah. I directed this pilot, now is directing this big movie, and he remembers the person that was on this small thing. And so they really are like, even though they don't necessarily become the massive tentpole successes we would want them to be, it doesn't mean that they're not important to the story of your career. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't give that up for anything. And it's just kind of like you know, it's there, the writers that were on that show were so, so good. I learned so much from them. And, you know, Sean Ryan, 
um, ran that show. And there's so much kind of like um, DNA of the shield that's in the walking dead, you know? So I think um, that's just, it's, there's things that I learned from working for him that I carry to this day, even though that was a very different show. Um, you know, everybody on that, the people will go like, why Terrier should get back together. And I'm like, well, you know, everybody's scattered to the winds. Like we're all doing things like one of the other people who like, um, was a staff writer with me, Leslie Headland. Like she's an amazing writer. She's running like a star Wars show now, you know? So we're all just like doing all our things. And, um, but man, that show was a blast to write. And I love stuff like that. And I think you're absolutely right. Like sometimes those, like, those things that feel really um, indie and small and special, um, they can just, they, they spawn other really cool work, but also like in and of itself, like it's something that I think all of us that worked on it are still really proud of, you know, and just remember, you know? So um, I, when I came on to Walking Dead, like I came on in season two and season one was a big success for AMC, but it wasn't like a big success in like the grand scheme of all of television at the time. Like we thought this was one of those like little small kind of scrappy indie shows. Like who knew that it would last like this long? Like, I don't think anybody like could see that that was what was going to be the trajectory. It's just, you know, it's like, you can't can't tell what's going to happen. You just do it because you're like, wow, this is, I love this. And then it, it's just a cherry on top if a lot of people love it too, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I remember seeing the the trailer for the first episode or the first, you know, the first six episodes and just being blown away that this was a television show that, cause it just looked different and it felt different and it was cool. But then also thinking like, oh yeah, well, this is like a horror show. So it's going to be genre. It'll probably be like a lot of stuff that I like, which is not everyone knows about it, but the right people know about it. And you kind of have that, yeah. like with Terriers and you meet people who know Terriers, like, oh fuck, that's so cool. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. Part of this community. And that's, I guess that's, you know, but even before Talking Dead, I guess that's what I thought Walking Dead was going to be. And then all of a sudden this like, boom, boom, it just became this insane yeah. And really redefined, like, that idea of genre television before used to be too, like, you know, 15, 10, 15, no, not 10, because it's been on for almost for almost 12, but 20 years ago, te- television would have been like, it's too genre, that's too narrow, we can't mm-hmm. do that. You know, ironically, they would have said that's too narrow of a scope. Of course, it ends up being one of the biggest shows on television, but but um, but seeing the genrefication of of content and television now and seeing like what a powerful piece of that puzzle walking dead was, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's, it's definitely cool. And I, I remember it's not even that long ago that, you know, when I was in grad school at USC, like there was even at that time, just kind of like, yeah, like genre stuff. Like it's sort of like dead. Like I would be writing like assignments with like weird, like people with like jet booster things on their shoes, like (laughs) going up to tops of buildings and weird horror things. And I'm like, yeah, like maybe not, maybe not that. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's just like these types of stories, they just, 
they have this kind of staying power that I think people don't want to admit that they do. You know, I was also an undergrad um, literature major and like, I loved like Edgar Allan Poe and like Gothic scary stuff. And I studied like Frankenstein. I mean, like this is, these are, these are things that are now considered literary classics, but those are pulp in the day too, you know? And so I think, um, I don't know, people tend to like underestimate how much people like to be scared, like to be intrigued and mystified. And there's all this stuff that over time you realize like, it's just really fun to watch over and over again. You know, it just, it kind of works and it allows you to like really think about the world in a way that's not so directly topical, you know, but you can get at really big, important, like social themes through like fantasy in a way that like, if you did it directly could feel like an after school special or whatever that even maybe even dating myself. Cause like Gen Z is like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm <laughs> After Zoom? But you know what I'm saying. That, that, that was Star Trek, basically. You're t- I mean, like that, like Star Trek, Twilight Zone did that. Rod Serling was. Ah, a- my God. Twilight Zone. Amazing. Still. Still holds up. Still like, it's still interesting to me that, you know, 50 years later, 60 years later, a lot, a lot of the same themes are still present that you see in the, in the Twilight Zone. But it is that idea of, you know, no matter how fantastical the storytelling is, the humanity that grounds it. It's like that is ultimately what are the human stories that even if you're even if they're extraterrestrial stories, what are the what yeah. are the human stories at the core of it that allow that like is the sort of the way in for people to kind of relate to it and understand it? Yeah, it's like I I remember going to see E.T. And I think that might have been like, that's the second movie that I remember watching in a movie theater. There might have been others, but I would have been too young to like really recall like anything about it. But E.T. blew my freaking mind, you know, it's like, and it's so human, though. It's just it speaks so much to like childhood and the desire to like, you know, forge your own paths and make friends with with people that you know like are outsiders and there's so many things that are just so like sweet and human about a story like that about like just this little like extraterrestrial being you know and it's just I don't know but it's also just hard to go what all he wants is to go home. Like he it's wants to go home, man. Big story. He wants to go home. To go home. The government gets in the way, and yeah. so we're gonna help him because a kid knows that home. How important home is. How important home is. So, I mean, you know, it's just it's like I still and I love to be scared. So I do love horror. Like even though a lot of times the walking dead is like, it's sometimes horror. Sometimes it's like action adventure. Sometimes it's, other, but it's like, it's so much of it is like a, a soap opera in its own way. It's very emotional, but like, you know, I, I think what I love about horror movies is like, you, you get to like see the full gamut of human emotion. You know, it's like the best horror like is dealing with, you know, there's, there can be love and fear and, you know, the, the will to survive and grief and, all of this stuff, like triumph of human will, like there's, there's so much that you're exploring so that when it like really works, like there's just, um, 
you get to just, you actually get to have a really, really emotional story. And I think that's the thing that I don't think people who are not into horror, like they, it's hard to like look at it from the outside and kind of realize that there can be this aspect of storytelling. That's really like, it's just about the human spirit. Um, I definitely am not of the kind that just likes to watch people just be like, you know, like torture porn throughout a movie, but um you know, it's, uh, it's just interesting. It's, it's a fun genre. I'm, I'm definitely an outlier in my family though. It's like, my sister is like, I don't like to be scared like at all, you know, getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home. Isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I would love to talk to you about the about your undergrad and your graduate program because I, it's it's sort of weighing the pros and cons of you know you know do do you go to school do you not go to school like is it important to just get out there in the world and start working the thing or like what were sort of the what were the pros for you for for doing the master's program in screenwriting like what things do you think you learned that helped prepare you or like, what are the pros and cons? Um, I think for me, I feel like when I look back at my life, I'm like, oh, I was, I feel like I was a late bloomer. You know, I feel like I'm very sort of like young at heart and that's a good thing now, (laughs) but, um, but, you know, I feel like school gave me, um, a kind of structure that I needed, Um, and I was very good at school. Like I'm a very good student. Like, I feel like I could go join a PhD program now and be perfectly like happy going down some rabbit hole of some like obscure subject and studying all day and writing papers. Like I love doing all of that. Um, but you know, I think that for me, um, the master's program, I, it gave me time and just some like structure and instruction to help me like um, write more and to um, build up my craft without having to worry about like juggling a job. I didn't go right after undergrad. Um, there were some students that kind of came right away after undergrad. And I, I think that they, um, you know, everybody's different. And for some, some people, I think maybe they might've thought like, oh, maybe I should have waited or maybe I shouldn't have gone and just kept on like trying to work or whatever, for me, it was definitely helpful because I, I felt like um, 
I, you know, I didn't know anybody. I was like, I don't know how to like, I don't know how to break into this. Like I just, who, who do I, how do, where do I go? Like, what door do I knock on? Like, I don't know how to do any of this. So it, you know, it helped me, um, meet people. It gave me like something for my resume. So I could then like apply to, uh, you know, like one of those network programs. I, um, I went to the CBS writers mentoring program and like that directly led to me, like finding my agent and, you know, and that directly led to me getting my first job. And so it's like, it kind of, for me, it was very helpful because it also helped me hook up with an internship, um, that I needed to like kind of gain some experience in a writer's room, but I don't think it's for everybody. It just really depends on the person. Cause I think like, there's plenty of people that like, if you have a point of view, like ultimately that's the major thing that I feel like you need as a writer, like all the other stuff, like the craft of it. I mean, you can read books and you can study movies and TV and stuff like that's really what you kind of do. And you can learn the craft um, and mainly you just have to practice. You just have to write and write and write and write and write. Like I wrote so many bad things over the course of my life. And I wrote also some good things. And I wrote in a lot of different genres. Like I was always that kid that like would win the literary contest for school for like a short story or poetry or something. And I wrote plays and short films and like all kinds of stuff. Um, and I think like you, you learn to be like, not too precious about it, but, um, you know, I I definitely feel like there's a lot of people where the best path is to just work some job and like, and keep on writing on the side and, you know, try to find your way in through like an assistantship or find somebody to mentor, apply for programs, apply for contests and like do that. But um, for me, I definitely think it was really helpful because it just, it gave me connections and just that structure that um, really helped me kind of like get there. Like, cause I got a job like right out of school, um, which is not the case for everybody. You know, I feel like I was very fortunate in many ways, but it's also like, I went in like with a plan of I'm going to get a job right out of school. Um, so I don't know, a long way of saying, like, I, I feel like it's, you know, I, I don't know if college is for everyone. I don't know if grad school is for everyone. I don't think it's necessary, but um, it can be helpful depending on your personality and your circumstances. Yeah, because but, no one basically, it's, it's maybe hard to remember sometimes that no one has to give you permission to write if you want to write. Yeah, it, yeah. I know in our business, we can be very conditioned to think like, no, you write when someone says, okay, it is now okay for you to, I now, you know, annoy <laughs> you with this writing position, yeah. you know, but but the thing you said, I think, is really valuable about writing so much that you don't get too precious about it. It's a very similar to how you start doing stand-up. You have to do so many shows because if you only do like one show a week or two shows a month, then each show becomes very precious because it's very, you know, it's just kind of the standalone thing that you put a lot of your mental energy into. Did it go well? Oh, it didn't go well. So I didn't do well that month. But when you perform a lot or when you write a lot, you're right. Then it's like, well, this is just the process. Some stuff's going to be good. Some stuff's going to need work. Other stuff I'm not going to be excited about anymore. Some stuff might not be great, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just yeah. Like just greasing those wheels and just getting getting the machine going. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, once you become a professional writer, you just spend every day like 
pitching your heart out or writing things and people just kind of tell you like, eh, I don't know, maybe something else. You got something like that's literally like the job of a writer in a writer's room is you like you come in and you start pitching your heart out and go like, what about this idea? You know, it'd be really cool. It's like, da, da, da. and then like, you know, in, in my case, now that I'm a showrunner, I might go like, uh, maybe let's just think about the, can we put a pin in that idea and like what else you got or it's like people in the room or like you're people tell you no like all the time or you know there's also a lot of like like yes like let's go down that path and then everybody gets excited and like yes and we do this and then we do that and then we do that and then you get to a brick wall and you go like oh fuck we got to rewind the whole thing and start over so it's just it's like you know, and then you turn things in and then the network and the studio and sometimes actors and directors, like they all weigh in on your work. And it's like, you know, as writers, like you, you take, you really have to put your heart into writing. There's a craft to it, but there's also such an art to it. And there's like, I think most people who are writers that are any good are actually like very like deeply feeling individuals. So you kind of have to get over that thing of like, these are my, these are the words from my soul and my heart. And I'm going to be crushed if anybody like says that they don't like them because like every day is a process of like, you throw out a million ideas and a lot of them are not going to make it onto the page. You save it for your pilot. <laughs> like it's just, you know. Basic idea of like separating yourself from your work, like separating your ego yeah. from your work and saying like, this is a thing I do. This isn't me. It doesn't represent my value as a person. Yeah. But I also think, I also wonder if there are any writing programs that treat the students like a network would, where you just, like, where you'll just get weird notes where it's like, <laughs> thing go, yeah, um, can you know, uh, we're, we have a deal with Birkenstock. Can, can you just write sandals into <laughs> What? This is, this, is a, this is nothing to do with this place, place on Wall Street. I know, I know, I know you know, we don't want the color blue and sandal. We want sandal. Like just yeah. weird notes to just kind of con- condition them. Like you're going to get weird notes or you're going to get, don't make sense to you because you don't know everything that's going on or whatever. And, and how can you be nimble about that? Yeah. You know? And how can you try to make those things work to your advantage? Yeah, I sometimes I think about like, you know, things that are um, great works of art that are hanging in like museums. And sometimes there's just something like really weird in the painting. You go like, oh, yeah, like the patron that paid for this was like, I really need you to work in my wife's dog's um, hat. So, you know what I mean? Like, there's just like weird I'm like, why, what does this mean? Like, why do they paint this? And I'm like, this, I feel like this might've been notes. Somebody got notes. Because I'm sure there's like art students going, oh my God, you know what they're really saying is that like, this is really just about, you know, the, the, the the structure of the monarchy oppressing the, and it's like, nah, the patron just wanted that dog's hat in there. These people, (laughs) this dog had a hat (laughs) wanted it in there because they were paying this this person to paint a thing. And that's, really- I, I swear to God, at least there's gotta be at least a percentage of that. Like, you know, artists have always had to have somebody paying for their art and <laughs> have existed forever. That's all I can say. So you know, one game, the next time you go to a museum to be like, okay, what, what, there, there, what was the note? It's great, but it needs more dog hat. I'm sorry. What? Well, it just, I not seeing a hat on the dog. 
and I think the dog should have a hat. Well, I've already finished the painting. Well, but not really. Because <laughs> okay. I haven't do everything yet. So go put a fucking hat on this dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when I think about the writing process, I think how fun it might be to be in a room. I love being in a room and pitching ideas. And I love the energy a room creates. Never do I ever think, I would love to be a scripted showrunner. Not one time. <laughs> the responsibility and the, because I feel like, and please correct me if I'm wrong or enlighten me. It's sort of like you get all the responsibilities of writing plus a lot of managerial components and also having to juggle all these different components and elements and to keep everything very cohesive uh, from a story and a show standpoint. So what, when you first became showrunner, what were some of the growing pains or what were some of the things that you did not expect that you had to learn very quickly? You know, like, I feel like what helped me along the way is that I was actually on this staff for such a long time before I took it over. So I did know some of the particularities of working on this show with um, the execs that we have, who are actually like really lovely execs that mostly kind of like let us do our thing and have like very good notes that help us dial some things in. I'm not saying that in case they <laughs> write this, like I really do feel that way. Like we have a few longstanding execs that have just been with the show for a long time. Um, so that was helpful. Um, and I also knew all the actors and had kind of a, a relationship with most of them. So that was helpful. I think the thing that is just a shocker, even if you have been watching the process and been like the number two, as I, you know, quote unquote, as I was on the show is just the volume of work on any given day is just exponentially more than you'd expect. And I think like every person who's on a writing staff, like you have moments where you're just waiting for the showrunner to come in the room and it's like, God damn it, where are they? Like, what do they do? Are they in post right now? Are they in a call? Like, where are they? Are they playing poker in their office? Like what's happening? And then you realize it's because it's like the moment you wake up, you wake up to just something on fire, like almost every day. There's just something that requires your attention. Um, the days that I wake up and there's not like some emergency that I have to tend to, I'm just like, all right, this is going to be a good day. But there's always just, there's just things that go on. There are things that you can't like predict. Um, you know, even with a show that's been running as long as this one has, there's been like lots of like, um, you know, various people retire, they move on to other jobs, like things happen. So there's always like people learning the show afresh. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's, there'll be things like I've got a cast of a million people. And so sometimes it's like, they're like, I really, I have to urgently talk to you so that I understand what I'm doing for this next episode. Or writers are like, we can't move forward on this story till you come into the room. And the post will be like, we, this thing is totally broken and we need to recut it. So what do you want to do? Um, productions like you've got to pick this thing because it affects like five other episodes and we've got to lock it down now where it's going to cost a gajillion dollars. So it's like every day is just some version of that. And I think, um, you know, as much as you think like, I'm going to have a system for this and I can manage the day and I can, I can do it all. And like, I've been watching this, like I'm totally on top of it. Like, there's just this element of like, it's actually like 50 jobs in one. 
So you just have to sort of give over to the fact that there's going to like every day is a little different, which I love. I love the variety of it, but it's also every day is a little different. So it's very hard to like, you know, just be able to like plan for like from hour to hour. This is exactly what I'm doing because oh just, just that you happens, you know, you just kind of go, well, this is probably the structure of my day, but I'm going to have to be flexible because I just don't know how it's all going to play out. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how it is. And, um, you know, especially when production's running, because that's where it's like, I mean, as soon as start, as soon as the cameras start rolling, it's like money is just taking away. It's just like, it's like this, it's like the sand dribbling through the hourglass and it just seems like it's going faster and faster. So it's like just stuff has this urgency to it. Um, but I think everybody who works in this like line of business in any way, like is a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. Like, don't you think like everybody's a little bit of an adrenaline junkie and there's something about the like immediacy of like, we're making it right now. That is just exciting. And it makes every day like a fun new day. And, you know, ultimately we get to like see our imaginations like come to life. And so there's something satisfying about that. And so you kind of go like, all right, well, if today's a crazy day, so be it. Because at the end of it, you know, here's this thing that I was like picturing in my silly little brain. And now there it is. I mean, nothing more motivating than a deadline, you know, like how many times in school did you have like three weeks to do an essay, but then the night before, (laughs) and then you go, God damn it. I could have just, I probably spent 10 minutes a day on this for the last few weeks. It would have been done with no stress. Like, no, I know. Yeah. Now you're like trying to get to the library five minutes before it closes. The book you need is checked out. You got to, you know. Oh in, my God. Yeah. In the pre-internet days. But I, but I <laughs> sort of understand about, about the decision-making process when you are called upon to make fast decisions that you weren't necessarily thinking about Um. I'm fascinated about this because I like to make uh, conceptual decisions, but I'm very bad at specifics. So an example is, and this is sort of like making decisions on a set, but you know, my wife and I are renovating a place and I go, oh, it'd be really cool if the railing on the patio was wrought iron and she'll go, great. But I don't think specifically about what kind of wrought iron or what the design yeah. And so then it's like, oh, I don't know. I just thought of wrought iron. And then, so I'll have to go to my wife, who's very good at making snap decisions and she'll go the twisty one. I'll go, oh, great. Okay, great. You know, but alone, if I didn't have her, I think I'd be like, gosh, I don't know. And I don't know if I would ever know. So when you are called upon to make very specific decisions in the moment, do you sometimes just go B, 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 or do you really do you really kind of have everything kind of mapped out in your head? Like, is there a particular process by which you're able to default to things to make that easier? I think, so I think for me, I'm very opinionated in certain directions and I have a certainty of like, this feels right or this feels wrong. And I'm like, when I know I'm in a decisive zone on something, like I can very quickly go like yes or no. And so everybody can move on. But I also know that like you, there's certain realms where I'm like, I can totally give the conceptual thing, but when it comes to which wrought iron is it, I'm like, 
I look at it and if it starts to take me too long to decide, I'll be like, you know what? All of these are okay with me. The director or the writer or like whoever's involved can decide, like the department head can decide. And so it's just like, for me, like I've just gained a sense of like what I can decide quickly versus what is going to be a waste of time and is ultimately like not really going to move the needle too much in any one direction. And those I try to like in the moment go like, I don't need to decide that one. (laughs) So it's the only way because otherwise, like, I think everything would be held up by me kind of fumfering about like, do I like this one that's like slightly skinnier or this one that's slightly fatter? Because I can go down that rabbit hole, but it's not good, you know, so the, the things that I'm like, this is important that I personally like weigh in on this. I will do that and I'll do so decisively. And if not, I'm just like, that one's not for me. Like broadly, these are all okay. So but that's what, that's what's so hard is it sometimes there's no real right answer for everything in the sense that sometimes like really cool details make a thing. Oh, yes. wow. it's really oh cool. yeah. Other times, you know, you can smack your head against the wall trying to come up with the right and you go, I don't know, just that one. And it works fine. And it, you, it's like it wouldn't have made a difference no matter what. But you just never know which is which. And <laughs> that's where it gets like, you, you know, yeah. you don't want to hamper yourself with, I don't know, perfectionism or thinking that, that you know, because I don't, I don't know if there is any real perfect way. There are just paths. Some paths yeah. are better than others, but they're different. One you know, a skinnier iron will take you down one path, maybe, and a, a fatter iron will take you down a different one. But is one better than I don't know. Like that's yeah, that that can hold you up forever. Yeah, it can hold you up forever. I am a person who I like a restaurant menu that's got like five things on it. Yeah, like <laughs> I get frozen in indecision with like um like a cheesecake factory size menu. And that's all of entertainment right now, by the way. <laughs> yes. Going to, you know, as all of our, as all of the mega companies are becoming super mega companies and like piling up so that they can create all this library content, you go into like a streaming app and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> and your whole night is just like watching trailers autoplay. You're like, I have no fucking idea. I have no idea. I, I think... There's going to be like a return to just the importance of like curation for people. So just a couple of the early jobs I had was so I worked at this place called the CD Listening Company when I was a teenager and it was like a record store employee. And it was at the time when it was like they had like an old it was literally like a bar and they set up like listening stations for for CDs And this was before some of the big chains started doing that. Um, But this is back when, you know, you couldn't just have every piece of music ever created, like just on your phone at all times. But the thing that I got from that and the thing that I got from like I waitressed um, when I was in an undergrad and also like a bit afterwards, like people actually do want you to tell them what to listen to or what to eat or whatever. So your job as like a record shop employee is when somebody comes and goes like, Hey, like, I really like this band or like, I'm looking for something that's whatever you just go like, you should try 
right. X, Y, and Z. Like, you know what you're going to like is this. And people like that. And it's not like just trying to upsell. Like I'm very, very bad at like selling and I feel weird about that. But it's just that like, I think people, they, they like human um, suggestions. I think sometimes the algorithm is helpful, but the algorithm can also feel very cold and impersonal and like slightly off in a weird way. Yes. So it's like, it's really nice sometimes to just have a human being tell you like, based on what I know of you, which is admittedly little, I think you might like these things. And even if you're slightly off, you're bound to find something kind of interesting. And I just like, I want somebody to tell me like, what are my next five TV shows and movies to watch? Cause it's like, I've got a list of like a thousand things that I feel like I'm behind on watching. And that's ultimately like what's breaking us all. It's there's too much, too much choice. I'm glad there's choice. And I'm glad that there's like types of um, entertainment that like might've been more rare, like 10 years ago or 20 years ago, like that's all good, but it's like, it just, I don't know. I do find myself if I go on Netflix and I'm like, oh, I've got like 40 minutes to watch a thing. I spend like 25 of them flipping through going like, I don't know. I don't know which thing should I watch. So then I just watch like a, a sketch <laughs> because like that's simple <laughs> and portable, you know. Just go on but, to YouTube and watch something. Well, but yeah, that's I, right. I, I, I was wondering like, should I start a service that's basically like a human curation service? I've literally thought about this I'm like there needs to be a human curate like yeah it's like you want to be able to call in you you know that you like you know you you check off the boxes like well I like horror I like comedy I like sci-fi and then you know then you connect with a person who is watching go hey well I like this and I like this and I like this check this out and check that out You (coughs) you can talk to them or like you know ask them questions about it I honestly think that would I, I don't know if it would be the biggest thing in the world, but I think it would do well. I, I, I've literally like said this to my husband before. I'm like, this would be a good business. Like it would not be like the size of Amazon, but it would be, I think a self-sustaining little niche business. Like just imagine everybody who would have been like a record store employee or a bookstore employee or like a a video store employee, like you can just connect to one of those people and talk about what kind of stuff you like. And maybe you find something good and maybe you just have a good conversation about like art, you know, but um, I feel like that's something that's missing from the algorithms. Oh my God. This is such a great idea. I would not (laughs) know how to manifest something like this, but I do think it is, I do think it is a staff of, you're exactly right. It's like people who people who maybe lost their jobs because of brick and mortar businesses going under. And it's like this person worked in a bookstore for a long time, or this person worked in a record store for a long time. And then they just become like, you like rent a cool friend who is basically like, <laughs> like a, an employee of, of some type of media store. And they just go, yeah, you know, I liked this. I thought this was pretty cool. Have you ever heard of this? No. Well, you should check that out. This is a little outside the realm, but you might like it, you know, and then it just gives you, because the, the I, what I feel like is so limiting with the algorithm is, you know, if you click on one thing, you're like, shit, now I'm going to get like 50 of this. And yeah. I, maybe this was just, you know, one thing that I wanted to watch, and yes. I don't, but I don't need to watch a hundred of it. Yeah. It skews your, it skews the direction of the thing. I also find that like, 
you know, my taste is pretty varied, but sometimes like I'm in a zone where I'm watching a certain type of thing. And a lot of times I'm watching things because like, I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm working on this type of story and I just want to watch examples of this type of story, but it actually like limits the other types of things that I discover. So if you feel it funneling you into a rabbit hole Whereas I actually think like a human being would go like, what do you feel like you're missing and might point you to something that you discover that's like really new and interesting, you know, without it being totally random. But I don't know, maybe I, I'm also like, I love tech. And so I, I'm, I'm definitely not like anti having tools that like help us do things, but I don't know. I feel like we're at some sort of like weird tipping point where I think like a human touch is like, desired by a lot of us and where it just feels like there's there's just too much it's it's overloading our brains it's too hard it's not relaxing anymore to like try to relax you know welding instructor alex declare knows firsthand how vr training platforms like forge fx can help meet the demand for skilled workers anywhere you go look there's going to be a shortage of welders VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, You'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. I mean, that is a that is a psychological principle that too much choice is stressful because the more choices you add, it creates this little fear inside of us, this primitive fear that we're going to make the wrong decision. Yeah. And even even if it's something as you know, like non life threatening as what movie you're going to watch, you still have that feeling of like you watch a trailer for. 20 seconds and you go, Oh, I don't know. When in reality, it's like, well, you could just start watching. And if you don't like it, you watch something else. <laughs> in that leap, you feel like, Oh, did we want to watch this? I don't know. It's like the lighting is weird. And the, it seems, I don't know, you know, rather than, you know, taking the chance that you might, you know, that you might like it. So I do think that that can be very limiting. Yeah. I, I feel that way. If I have to buy something, like I can't even buy anything anymore. It's like, you feel like you have to research everything and get the very best version of whatever widget. And it's like, Oh, two people get this one star. Oh shit. It's like, do did I need to spend an hour like researching something that really I like could have just bought any version of it and it would have been fine. Like, yeah, yeah, do, not, I need, do I need to go down the Amazon review hole of earplugs? Yes. Like, <laughs> You know, they're they're eight dollars. I'll just try them. Yeah, it's eight dollars. You know, if, if they don't work, I'll get some other ones. You know, it's like I don't know. Are these the best ones? Do they really block out sound? Does it irritate you? You know, so yeah, we are we are definitely we are there's there's just so much busy work involved. Yeah, you know, <laughs> busy it's, like, work. it's like the busy work. It's like all the busy work 
it's like you, it's like consumerism has homework now. It's like it's not just oh, yeah. You used to just buy stuff, and now it's like now it's fucking homework. Like we're writing dissertation. It's fucking homework. Yeah, everything's fucking homework is what it comes down to. <laughs> I, I literally picked a job where I have homework every day. Like, I explained to my kid. He's like, "Why aren't you done with work?" I'm like, uh, "Okay, well, this is like my grown-up homework." And he's just like, "Oh, it's like I'm not going to college." Like for <laughs> like, okay, you're eight, but we'll, we'll see. So <laughs> he's like, "No, down. He's down. Down with homework." Well, yeah. let's talk about the job that you have homework for in the remaining time, because, um, you know, it's it, it, it is weird. <laughs> I know we've talked about this before, but I do keep putting off the um, the feeling of like, well, it is the final season because it is it doesn't feel just because of the way it's being parsed out. It doesn't feel that way, even though from your point of view, it probably does. But from the viewer, from my viewing point of view, it's like, oh, we got eight episodes in the fall and there's 16 next year that'll be broken up into chunks of eights. And, you know, and so there's still plenty of time. But can you just talk a little bit about the feeling or the responsibility of like how to land this plane? You know, like what is what 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 goes into that? And do you even think about that or is it just too much to even take on emotionally you just kind of take a little bit of time you know I mean just on the writing side because we're always thinking in terms of like a long arc we have definitely had to think about like how do we end this and like what are the events that we need to like lead up to it but at the same time 24 is such a large overwhelming chunk that we had to kind of like think about here's what we think is the major arc and some of the things along the way. And then now let's like segment it into the, the way that it airs, which is sort of in thirds. And then it's like, let's work on this little mini arc here. And then this mini arc here while still kind of keeping an eye on the whole thing. Um, it's, I, I mean, it's daunting. Like I think um, it just, you, it feels like a lot of episodes and not enough at the same time because there's so many stories that like you could tell with these characters it just feels like there's so like some of these characters I'm like I feel like we're just barely getting started with them and we got to like land it all so um you know I have I have great fear of failure all the time um I think as does like everybody who's like involved with the show we're all like we just want to do a good job because we we're so invested in in this show and these characters and the fans have just been so like awesome and loyal and um, you know, the ones that have like really stuck with us for all these years. So I I don't know, that's all to say that like, I feel high anxiety every day, but we're just, we're just trying to do it. Like, I think um, since we're running um, and production's running, it's like, there is just this like clock to every single day, like, cause the next script has to come out and then the next script has to come out. So it doesn't really allow you the time to get too too in your head. Cause at a certain point, like something has to be made, you know, and you still want it to be good. So we're just trying to stay enough ahead of the, the, the train of production to make sure that we're not having to rush things out where it doesn't feel like it's good quality. Um, but that's just always the reality of working in television. It's just that like this season has like supersized itself. Um, 
so, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if that like answers your question. Like, I think in terms of like emotions about the season, like, I think, I think a lot of us that are in it, we're just kind of like, we have so much road ahead of us um, that there's moments where I think people feel kind of sad or there's, there's bittersweetness or whatever, but but I have a feeling that's more for the end because right now we're all just like right smack in the middle of it. And um, you just, you have a job to do. So you kind of like, I think like many of our characters, you kind of just buckle up and like, you know, start doing your job and you got to like fight your way through it, you know, cause it's, um, it's hard work. It's hard work for everybody, like in a good way, you know, it's like, we all um, enjoy the work, but it's like, you got people like standing around in the heat with these, like, you know, armored costumes and people running around with zombie makeup and you know we're just cranking on the writing side like every department's like cranking away building things um you know try to paste everything together and post and it's like every single person just has so much to do um so in some ways like that kind of keeps you from the more philosophical side of it right now cuz that tends to just kick in like when you're a little closer to the moment right, you know? right. but it's but I also like you know I mean we're saying season 11 but really 12 seasons really 12 years um yeah. that you, know, you look at a show like Breaking Bad and you go okay well it was really just like one core it was a guy his family and then his friend like but it was basically just like one tiny core story and there yeah. were other storylines there were other storylines that had had to wrap <clears throat> up but really it's this five season arc you know what happens to this guy and the people in his immediate circle um versus 12 seasons of a show and now also on top of that this giant open universe that's expanded from the show so it's not just walking dead it's like this whole other thing and the crm and Where's Rick Grimes? And, you know, like there's a movie connect, there's other shows coming out, there's other stories to be told. And, you know, and as far as I know, you're doing the, you're going to show run the, the Carol and Daryl show, I think, at least according to the internet. Um, at least according to what I know, we'll see, you know, you good. never know what development, but yeah, but, as far as I know. But, but that idea is that like, the show is ending, but the universe isn't ending. So that's kind of an odd element too. That's, I mean, this is such unique, rare television grounds, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of precedent for it. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, you know, like I said, I don't think when I came in, like I had no sense that this would spawn this whole franchise. I just knew that these were comic books that I liked and I loved the first season and, and, you know, I was like, well, if you get a couple seasons of work out of it, like, that's great. You get to write a cool zombie show. Um, and I think that there is something that's so rich about this world. And I think that zombies, um, there's just something about zombie stories that lets you tell just really interesting stories about the human condition and about like, I don't know, about governments sometimes, like all kinds of things. Like zombie stories just tend to have this sort of like interesting social and philosophical element, I find, like of the horror, you know, sub-genres or whatever. Um, And I think, 
you know, there's these characters that we've always written to be like a little larger than life because that it's taken from the comic, but also that we've tried to ground in like real human emotion and like relationships. And, um, and, you know, it's like when you're so based in character, humans always have so much variation to what they do. So it does allow you like a lot of room to play. And I, you know, it's, I, I think it's like, I'm not, since I'm not in charge of like the universe part of it, like I tend to just sort of focus on like what I'm doing in my particular lane, but it does feel like there's so many different ways you can interpret things, but also it's just, there's so many people where, um, you know, on the mothership walking dead show, there's like a gazillion characters. But if you were to just focus in on like any one person, you could tell a whole arc for like that person and, you know, have a really satisfying story. So, um, you know, all that to say, like, it's kind of like, it's, it's really cool and fun. I didn't think that this would be like a franchise, but here we are and it's cool to be part of it. Yeah. And then, and and also um, being able to tell these stories. And I constantly say, I've said to you many times on our show and probably on the Comic-Con panel too, that as difficult as shooting around the pandemic was, what an interesting opportunity to be able to, like you were saying, because there's so many characters, just really focus in on a couple of intimate stories that the, um, the environment sort of, and the, the way that we had to sort of navigate the pandemic really kind of dictated how the stories are going to be told, but it, but I think that actually helped benefited the show and benefited you know me as a viewer. So I get to see these like really dense verticals of singular characters and what they were going through, um, which I think is you know very helpful going forward. I mean, again, that last Negan story was so incredible and such a and you know do you think a story like that would have happened if? there were no pandemic and it was just sort of business as usual. I'm sure there would have been a here's Negan episode, but would it have been told in that way? I, I think not. I think, you know, we always thought here's Negan would be more expansive. And I think, in I think that that story, um, it probably would have been part of some other story that was going on. It was really fun to be able to just do, here's this, here's this, here's Negan thing. Like let's really focus in on him and his wife because we had to keep the cast small. And um, that wound up being like really special for us. And we love doing stories that are just sort of like focused on like a small number of characters, but we're trying to balance so many different people that we so rarely actually get to do that. And um, I think for us as writers, that's always really satisfying. And I know the actors really enjoy those episodes too, because they just get to like sink their teeth into like a really meaty, um, acting challenge. And, you know, certainly like Jeffrey is, he's just, he's such a great actor with so much range. And it was really fun to see him do. And here's Negan, like run the gamut from like, just, you know, almost like a man child who's sort of shirking responsibility to like the guy who's like really tender and like, trying to take care of his wife to the start of villain Negan, like, you know, to, you know, post villain Negan trying to like find like a spot of redemption, like all of that stuff. Like he got to play in one episode. Normally, like, 
you wouldn't get to do that as an actor. Like we do try to write some of those episodes where it's like people get to go through something, but he got to touch on so many different versions of um, that character's sort of like um, journey that, uh, you know, and that's really fun to write too. You know, it's like fun to get to dive in that deep. It was such a Hillary was so great too. She's so great. Such an amazing piece of casting because you could really feel this very authentic and organic shorthand that they had with each yeah. other and, and how connected they were. And it, it was such a great, um, it was just such a great piece of television and such a great part of the universe and moving ahead, you know, jumping back into big stories again and, you know, lots of zombies and lots of characters <laughs> and stuff, you know, are, do you have sort of like a, even though you're going like chunks of eight episodes at a time, do you have like a giant board of note cards? That's like, here's kind of what we're going to accomplish in this first eight and then the second eight and then the third eight. And then obviously as you get closer, you'll start to figure out like the details and the dialogue and the writing and all that. But in general, do you feel like you have it pretty well mapped out from this point? Oh yeah. I mean, we had to pitch it to AMC. So we mapped out like every episode, like in a, in a fair amount of detail, there's like a, there's stuff that like, definitely once we get to each episode, we have to like work out beat by beat. We don't have every single beat and every single scene. And sometimes things shift as we get into it. But yeah, I mean, we pitched all the way through the entire season um, uh, for all the way up to the top of the company. And so um, you know, it's just like, that's, we, you know, everybody's taking it very seriously. So there's no kind of like, ah, we're going to wing it and see where it lands. They're like, they started just calling up my office to go in like our virtual office. Like, so when are we going to hear the pitch? So when are we going to hear the pitch? Are we going to hear the pitch soon? Are we going to hear the pitch? What are you planning for the end of the season? What are you planning for the end of the season? What are you planning? What are you planning? And we're like, we're working on it. I swear to God, we're working on it. Like, I'm not trying to hide anything from you. I'm not going to like not tell you, not going to like throw some twists you weren't expecting. Like we are just literally working on it because our whole schedule is upside down. And I, you, I'm, I exaggerate, but only a little. <laughs> like they all want us here, you know? But they were very, very supportive and cool. So like, I'm not saying that to complain. Like they were, they're actually like, everybody was very, very supportive of what we kind of laid out. But, um, you know, it's like, we're just trying to juggle everything because it's, we're on a schedule we've never been on in like a decade because of the pandemic shifted everything around. So it just made everything kind of like sit on top of each other in a, in a weird way. But um, yeah, so the short answer to your question is we do have a board. It's virtual this year, but it is filled with tons of cards that stretch across the entire season. And then we go in and flesh it out. The show ends, I imagine, with Daryl's dog, Dog, in a hat, right? Is that ultimately? Probably. That's, that's, that's <laughs> nice. I see what you did there. Um, yeah, it's like we, um, we uh, you know, it's like we've got, like we pitched out what we think is the final scene and, and the whole shebang. So oh my God. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it all lands. What, what, what I've, what was always, it was, you know, you've always been so great on talking dead every time, like, right. Oh, oh my God. I don't feel like I am. I feel like no, an idiot. You are. And the reason <laughs> that you are is because you've been involved with the show for so long and 
you're such a fan of, of the genre and you are a fan of you would I know you would watch the show if you weren't working on it. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's so, my jam. You have this fan perspective, but also as a showrunner I feel like you do this really great balancing act of giving enough away that is like, you know, that is engaging but then not giving away like no but not spoiling anything. And so I'm all, I've always wanted to know, like, what is going on in your head when I ask you questions that you know you can't really... And I know I ask fucking questions that cannot be answered. <laughs> well, and you could just go, like, just watch the show. But you do a great job of going, well, here's some information that, you know, that dances around what you're saying, you know. And, and I always kind of feel satisfied with that. So what's going on in your head to create this balance, which I know is very difficult? So... I don't, okay. I don't know if I can really explain it. I just have a sense of like, because I'm a fan of this stuff, like, like I'm just going to give a random example. This is like not the only thing that, that like I've done this with, but like I watched, I loved Lost. I watched every episode of Lost. Right. And that was really like one of those shows that like where the transmedia aspect of like, you want to go online and all of that, like that was important. And there was some kind of engagement on message boards and stuff. So occasionally I would go online because I'm like, oh, I'm dying to know. And I've got a theory about this thing. And I just, I want to know, but I only want to know like a little bit. I don't want to like totally get into spoiler territory, but it's like, I just have a sense as a genre fan of like, if I, if this was me asking the question, I don't know that I actually want the entire direct answer. Like that might upset me. I just want enough to kind of like validate like the fact that I'm thinking about it. And so I just, I'm honestly making it up as I go along, but I just sometimes have an internal sense of like, I can give a little bit more here, but this I should not talk about. Or I, you know what I mean? So yep. it's, it's all just, it's completely instinct and I'm making it up as I go, but it's based on my own experiences of like being a fan of stuff or like looking up stuff about the Star Wars universe or like whatever. Like sometimes you just want like a little bit of information, but there's times where I'm like, wow, that was way too much. I don't want that spoiled. Like, I don't want that spoiled at all. So I'm trying to dance around that line. It's more of my own internal line of what feels like enough to give or not. But sometimes I screw it up and everybody's got a different threshold because there's people that are like, I'll give some weird like halfway answer. And they're like, you said way too much, way too much. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, so. Well, yeah, because like, I don't think, you know, I don't think after that first season of loss, I don't think, I mean, of course I wanted to know where the polar bear was coming from, but also not at the same time and yeah. things should be explained and other things like you know like I, I don't you know for like the star wars universe it's like well i don't know if i necessarily needed to know the science behind the force you no, know i didn't need to know that i just i was I, good at being the force but then there were other things that it's like oh yeah but that i want explained but that so i guess there's no real there's no real across the board answer no it's it's subjective. It's just totally subjective. subjective. Totally yeah. Subjective. Yeah. Uh, what are you um, right now looking forward? And I know I asked you this on the, I've, I've asked you this a million times, but just for people who haven't watched, seen Talking Dead or whatever, and are just listening to the podcast, what is the thing that is 
motivating you and exciting you about season 11? I'm excited about, and I, <laughs> I don't know. I, it changes day to day. I like, I think that there's a, there's a few things that just come to mind right now. Like one is we got to really start the season with a big bang and like just big fun action sequences. And not that that's like the only thing that matters in the show, or even that it's the most important thing, but it is fun. And like, I, you know, I think that that's part of like the, um, the feeling of like getting to like watch a little movie in your home. Like when you sit down to watch this, this show that, um, that was really fun to get back into, you know? So, uh, so that is really cool. We had like a, we had some really cool directors that are in this season and I think they've done like some really, really cool work. Um, and I'm excited for that stuff. I I'm definitely excited for anytime we get to intro, like a new community, um, that just gets to like bring new characters and new types of storylines and new types of like tension and conflict. So I'm excited to kind of like intro, um, the next new big community. Um, you know, I, I think that there's just lots of really cool, um, scenes that some of our actors do that I'm just blown away by people's acting. Like they, they just do a really great job. And I I think it's like, it's easy to overlook that sometimes because it's like, it's a zombie show, but there's just, there's some really, really deep um, work that people have done that I just think is like really fun to watch just from like a standpoint of like, um, they're doing this really like emotional, difficult, fraught, um stuff so um I'm just I'm looking forward to people watching it because it's like a lot of times when I'm watching cuts come in I am trying to think of it as like I do my first watch just like a fan like not taking like too many notes like going like what's the flow of this and like ooh, like where does it feel like exciting where is it feeling a little slow or where is it confusing and things like that so um you know, and then there's times where I just sit back and get a little lost in what people are doing. And it's not to like pat myself on the back. Cause I'm really like, at that point, I detach myself and go like, Oh, the writer who wrote this episode and the people who were on the ground making it like kind of created something that's really special, like, you know, and so those, those moments are always really satisfying for me. And those are the moments that I get excited to like show the fans. Cause it's like, I have a good instinct. Sometimes I'm like, people are going to freak out about this scene. So, um, you know, I don't know. It's the, it's the realm of it all. And then finally, um, I personally am looking for some good writing advice and I know that write a lot. Don't be precious is something that we covered, but just in terms of, um, is there more to it than that? Like trying to discover your own voice or at least, you know, oh, I have an idea for, a, you know, a movie, like a low-budge horror movie, you know, just some good advice for, like, mapping it out. Do you do, you do like, a, like, a one-page and then expand that to, like, a two-page breakdown and then do scene structures? Or do you just dive in and start writing, you know, fade in, blob, this happens, this happens? Like, what part of the process do you do that in? And, you know, also just other other good writing advice for kind of plowing through a script? I, I think like when I used to like write stuff more like short stories or plays and things like that. And when I was younger, 
I did used to just plow in and go a lot off of um, instinct, but I, you know, cause for certain formats, I feel like that works, but I feel like if you're writing something like a movie, there's just so many pages you have to get through. And so if you kind of go down like a funky path, it can be really hard to get like 60 pages in and go like, I got to rewind that. <laughs> so I, I, I definitely like, and for our show and everything and for anything that I'm like trying to develop or whatever, do try to kind of figure out a roadmap. But, um, you know, I think it's helpful to just talk about like scenes that excite you. Like a lot of times I'm just like, you know, it'd be a really great scene is like, these two people like doing this thing or like what's an interesting scenario to put them in. Um, But then I don't, you know, it's like, I I think a lot about like what people would do in situations. So you've got to do a little bit of like, I don't know what you call this, but you, you burn it at both ends. Like it's helpful to know like what you're trying to land at, but it's also helpful to know where your characters are starting. And you just kind of go like, all right, well, these two people have been through this and they feel this and this is what they start going through. And what would you do in those situations? And it's like, you try to put them in hard situations because I think that's where you get like really, really interesting scenes. Um, And then you're hopefully pointing them in a direction that works. Like I'm also open to sometimes like on the show, like we'll be like, oh, we think this episode ends here. But then like we start doing the character pass and you're putting them in these really interesting situations. And sometimes we go like, actually, that ending doesn't feel totally right now. So I'm open to changing. I think other people are a little more like rigid about like where they want to go. It's it's all like so dependent on the person. But um, I definitely like to have a roadmap. But sometimes in the roadmapping, I think it's good to have a little flexibility to sometimes break out and go like, I just want to write this one scene and see how this scene goes. And then maybe that gives you ideas that feed back into the map, you know, or it changes the map. Um, I don't know if that's helpful at all. I, helpful. There's definitely there's definitely more technical things that I could get into, like, which is more like ways that we learned at USC to like break down, a, you know, the, the um, sequences of a movie, like you break it into eight and like each sequence, like you're kind of doing this and that. And, um, it is helpful to break into smaller segments. I'll say that because then you're kind of like doing a chunk at a time rather than like a giant um, thing. That's always helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think coming up with that, you know, like what's, if you kind of know what your general story is, that's great advice of just making a list of like, what are some cool scenes that you like? How do they fit in? How would they sequence? Do they make sense? Even if you like it, you have to be willing to let it go if it doesn't serve. Yeah serve the story which I know is, is hard to do hard to do sometimes yeah I you know what I do like this is a trick I don't know if you do this at all or other people but I like it can be so painful to like let go of something like I you know I I could see myself if I wasn't careful becoming a total hoarder so it that is true of writing too so like I create like what I call like my scratch file and a lot of writers use some version of this trick but anytime like I've written something and I'm like oh I really love this I don't want to let it go I, I'll just cut it and paste it into this other file 
So then I'm like, oh, it's not really gone. It's just in this other file. I could always use it again if I want to. Um, it just psychologically helps me let go of things because sometimes you have to, as they say, kill your babies when you're writing. Yeah. Um, but that just helps me kind of keep moving when I'm just having a hard time letting go of something that I know I need to let go of, you know? Yeah, and it's much, it's much easier to hoard in a scratch file. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> take up any space and you and you also those ideas could turn up at any time later on right. you got to go back and look every so often right just go oh my god i forgot about this. this is really cool and weirdly it serves this thing i'm doing now so i'm just gonna drop it in here that, that happens on shows a lot like we've totally used things on the walking dead where it's like somebody like pitches something great but it doesn't fit into what you're doing there's things that came back around like two years later or whatever. You're like, remember that one time we talked about this thing and then it totally comes back around like um, head in a bag, which opened, I want to say season four. Um, was that the season four premiere where Rick meets this woman in the woods and she's like, come with me. Like my husband and the husband was like, a, he was dead and it was his head in a bag. That idea was pitched in a completely different context. Like in season two, um, I want to say like Kirkman was like, Oh, maybe there's a guy with like a carrot, a head in a bag. And then it's turned into this actually like really like wonderful um, emotional story, but that happens on the show. It's like, it's the version of the scratch file. You just, you're like waiting for story ideas and you go like, remember that thing that like did not make sense at the time. What if you do it here? And it, sometimes it works like gangbusters. So Wait, you know. I, I totally could see, I felt like a Kirkman person <laughs> with your, eh, what about a guy with a head in a bag? You know, like it's, yeah. <laughs> that's totally, and I think if I make my scratch file, I'm going to call it head in a bag. Head in a bag is your file. <laughs> to this wonderful yeah. conversation that we've had. I, I cannot thank you enough. I, you know, you've always been so generous with your time and it's just been so wonderful to get to know you on this, you know, fun, surreal journey that we've all been on for a decade. <laughs> 11 yeah, years. for real. You know, I just, I appreciate it so much. And I'm so excited to see you on our show uh, when Walking Dead is back. And then I, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, there will, I'm sure I will have tears next year. Yeah. How can you not when you've yeah. fundamentally changed your life and given you so many great experiences and, you know, it's, 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 you know, I understand this is how television works, but it's not, doesn't mean that it won't be sad. So I'm it's just gonna be sad. deferring it. I'm just deferring it until I know. Year. not even I thinking about it now. Yeah, me too. I'm a big crybaby. So um, <laughs> there's going to be so many tears. <laughs> but right now, just work. But right now, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's Thank fun. you so much. It's been so great talking to you. And, um, and you know, I'll see you. I'll see you soon. Yeah, see you soon. It's super fun. The end of this episode, not of The Walking Dead, which is still quite a ways away. All right. ID Tenti scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. 
It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the Wayback machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts